They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus's way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. stories of Jesus. We were in St. Petersburg, standing outside the Hermitage, which is essentially a museum of art. Waiting to get into this museum, we, uh, we were just in the commoners lineup, so we waited for two hours in the rain and this miserable weather to get into this museum. Where is housed Rembrandt's famous painting of the prodigal son and the father and the brother. And so there's this this very classic piece of art. You can go online, you actually get a better view of it than I did, because we finally got in, and, we, and it was just full of people, and of course, there's all these tour groups there, and everyone wants to see this signature piece. And so we lingered very shortly at the prodigal, at that painting of Rembrandt, and then moved on, and we actually found some really cool sarcophaguses down in the basement that had less crowded, and some swords and all that stuff. It was fun, but, but we didn't really get a good look at the painting. And I would suggest to you this morning, maybe, that you are familiar with this story, but you've just glanced at it. You've kind of given it a, a passing glance and moved on. You, you, you think you understand it. And even as I read it this week, it, it just sparked new things in my heart as I, as I just meditated on it. Because for many years, I just focused it on part of the story and not the whole story. And so I want to walk with you today through these three, three lost stories of Luke chapter 15. We're going to go fast, and then we'll slow down when we get to the final story. But in Luke 15, Jesus tells these three stories to make one significant point. Look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. This is the context of the stories. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him, that is Jesus. But the Pharisees, in verse 2, and the experts in the law were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is the whole context of these three lost stories. We have two groups here. We have one group, which are these clean, living, moralistic. They are the group that you would choose to live next to you, if you could choose. The other group is, is this notorious group of, of outsiders, sinners. Uh, greedy people, uh, the outcasts, the, the untouchables. Rarely did these two groups come together until the final story of this group of three. 
But this is the whole background to these three stories. Who is Jesus that he would welcome sinners and eat with them? Eating would be like associating, like it would be friendship, it would be companionship. Why would he do that? Doesn't he know what kind of people they are? And so Jesus, it says in verse 3, told them this parable. And then there's two, and then we get to the third parable. Let me read the first two parables. Verse 4, which one of you? If he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go out and look for the one that's lost until he finds it. Then when he has found it, he places on his shoulders rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, rejoice with me because I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need to repent. Verse 8, or what woman? If she has ten silver coins and loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search thoroughly until she finds it. Then, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin that I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Okay, so these first few stories, the pattern is very similar. Something of value is lost. A search is ensued to discover and find and recover that lost item. In the case of the shepherd, he's looking high and low, trying to find this little sheep. In the case of the woman, she's sweeping through the whole house trying to find that lost item. Some of you know what this is like, right? I know what this is like because I'm not very good at sometimes putting stuff away where it should go in the same place all the time. And so you're like, where are those keys? Where is that tool? You know, Lisa wants to do something in the house. She's like, where are those tools? I don't, well, they could be here or they could be there. I mean, so, so here's the case. Lost items are found. There is rejoicing at the discovery of the lost item. And an invitation for community to celebrate together. And then there's the interpretation at the end of both of those stories he says, yes, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Um, heaven really celebrates and parties when people come back to discover God and his love. When lost items, lost people are found, there's this great party in heaven. Um, and then we get to the third story, which... You may be familiar with, but I would challenge you to think maybe, maybe you haven't really thought about it uh, completely because the story doesn't end with, with, you know, the way we think it is going to end. And the pattern changes. So here's how it works. There, there's a predictable pattern in story one, lost item found, communal celebration, interpretation. Lost item found, story two, communal celebration, interpretation. And then verse, in the third story, the whole pattern changes. So here the the author, Jesus, is inviting us to look a little more carefully because now it's not sheep and coins, it's people. It says in verse 11, Jesus said, a man had two sons. So instead of a singular item, now we have two items. And it says in verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. This is really surprising. Like, you didn't do this. This was unheard of, uncommon. In fact, the appropriate answer of the father in this case is to smack his son, to, to beat him, to kick him out of the house, to make him go work in the field. You, you got too, many, you know, too much wild oats in you. You need to smarten up and get into line. I mean, the fact that the father is willing to do this is absolutely crazy. The listeners of the first century would be saying, what is going on here? What kind of a man would do that? 
Because you understand, it's not like he has all of his assets sitting there in gold bullion in a safe. His assets is his farm, his land, his animals, his, you know, his grain stockpile. So he's got to take that, sell it, liquidate it, give the, the money to his son. I mean, it, this is a significant pain in the neck. The whole community knows now. Because he's, hey, calling the neighbor down the street, hey, you want to buy some sheep? You know, well, why, why are you getting rid of sheep? Oh, I just got to get rid of them, you know. And, and, and you know, so, so he's gotten rid of them. So here in this case, two sons in the... Uh, the Jewish culture, the first son got a double portion. So the first son is entitled to two-thirds. The younger son would be entitled to one-third. That's one way you could see it. So you imagine one-third of the whole assets of the corporation now have been liquidated and given to the younger son. He basically has told his dad, I wish you were dead. In our vernacular, it's like he has taken the middle finger on his hand and put it in his father's face. Give me my money, Dad. You need to understand the uncomfortableness of this and the surprising aspect that the father would actually do it. He has decided that he needs the assets so that he can live his life the way he wants to live it. That somehow living with the father in the father's house is holding him back from what he could achieve on his own. I don't need the Father. If I just had what was coming to me, I could really get on with life. Maybe you felt that way about your own parents even. We're like, man, my parents are really holding me back. If I didn't have them just lurking over me like a vulture, I could actually just live my life and do things and not feel like, you know, maybe feel like that with teachers, right? Or, or your boss. Or I don't know who it is, but, but here it is. The Father has, has agreed to do this. In verse 13, it continues the story. After a few days, the younger son gathered together all he had, left on a journey to a distant country. He's done with dad's house. He's done with the village. He's done with the country. He's going as far away as he can. And there, it says he squandered his wealth with a wild lifestyle, or perhaps your translation, the old translation would say riotous living. And that's all he says. Now, people have colored that in, but we can imagine, just, you know, imagine if you had a bunch of money and, and no parents looking over, no, no siblings, no friends from the community can see you. I mean, what, what would you do with it, right? I mean, it's one thing, you know, if, if, you, know, if, you, if you start doing that here in Lloydminster, well, someone's going to see you and be like, hey, aren't you, aren't you Mike's kid? What are you doing here? What are, why are you doing that? But no, here he's in a, a foreign land. No one knows him. No one, no one sees him. And he's having a good time. We're not sure what kind of good time that was. Later on, the older brother is going to fill in his own blanks with, with what he thinks his brother was doing over there. But, but basically, Luke and, and Jesus just in a very concise way says, yeah, he spent it all. Maybe he got into some gambling. And that was, that's fun, right? Because you can always win, but then you lose, and you win, then you lose. You know, there's sort of that, you know, excitement. And all of a sudden, he's got nothing. Nothing. Squandered it all. And it says in verse 14, things go from bad to worse. After he had spent everything, a severe famine took place in that country, and he began to be in need. It's getting bad. Now, it's one thing to be hungry in a place where you know people. 
But you're in a place where you don't know anyone. You're, you're a stranger. You're a foreigner. And if something happens when a famine comes, everyone tightens up their belt and their purse strings. Because they're thinking, about, well, i got to feed my own family. Why? I'm not worried about you, some foreigner, some stranger that I saw you know, just a couple months ago lavishly spending money and wasting money. Why would I give money to you? He's in need. Not only that, he's desperate. Verse 15. So he went and worked for one of those citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. The force of the Greek in this verse is he literally like pushes himself onto the, this foreigner. Like, like literally like, come on, don't you, you need a worker. Come on, let, let me work for you. And he's like, he's so desperate. And here he is. Now this is a, this is a Jewish context. Jews didn't have anything to do with pigs. They were unclean animal. They were, you know, they were... You just avoided them, you didn't eat them, you didn't touch them, you didn't come near them. And here he is, knee-deep in pig poop, and he's feeding pigs. Verse 16. He was longing to eat the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It is a story of rebellion. And where rebellion gets you, where you say, I don't need your rules. I don't need your standards. I don't need your morals. I'm going to do whatever I feel like it. But as you begin to steer your, 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 your car on your own, suddenly you find yourself veering into the ditch and getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're so stuck, no one can get you out. And, and here he is. I'm so hungry, I can't even eat pig slop. This is where my decisions have got me. In the lowest point possible. Maybe some of you can relate to that today. You've made some bad decisions. And on top of those bad decisions, you make more bad decisions. And the more decisions you make, this, the deeper it seems to get. And you're like, I don't know how to get out of this rut. My tires are spinning, and I'm not going anywhere. And what I thought would bring me life has actually brought me death. My, my soul is slowly, slowly getting sapped of whatever vitality it once had. And you wonder, is this how it's going to end? He's going to fall over in the pig pen and then the pigs are going to consume him. Is that what's going to happen? Because that's kind of the way sin works, right? Eventually it will consume you. You think it's freedom, but it's actually bondage. And it just it carries you deeper and deeper and you get more stuck and more stuck. And here he is. But something happens in verse 17. It says there, but... When he came to his senses, now the light bulb goes on. There's this, this little spark in his heart dunk, that goes on, and it, it begins to, to warm up his, his soul as he thinks about, about life and the reality, and, and, he, and, and he's returning his thoughts to his father. He says, how many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare? But here I am dying from hunger. He's like, you know, Life wasn't that bad in the Father's house, was it? But here I thought I could do it better, and I've just made a, a worse situation for myself. But oh, how good it is in Dad's place. He came to his senses. It is, I believe, Luke's intention and Jesus' intention in this story to illustrate for you what it looks like for repentance. 
when a person comes to realize where they are and what they need to do. And, and you, you, you go in this direction and you decide to turn and go a different direction. That's what he talks about in the first two stories. When, when a sinner comes to repentance, that, that brings joy in heaven. Here it's happening. The, the younger brother, is his, his, his eyes are open and he's starting to see life the way it really is. And so he says to himself uh, in there in verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. You see, this is repentance. I've made a mistake. I've not only violated and embarrassed my whole family, but I sinned against God. I want to make this right. It says in verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. There's his plan. I've, I've lost sonship. I'm no longer going to be part of the family, but I'd be better off washing dishes, slopping stalls, shoveling grain, whatever else. I'm, I'd be way better off than what I'm doing right now. Just being in the safety of his home and property was way better than, than this whole hole that I am sitting right now in, in, the, in the pig slop and, and feeding cobs that I can't even eat myself. There's a heart change that's now leading to a change of action. He's going to go make it right. He doesn't deserve anything, but he's just hoping that his dad will be gracious enough to allow him to have that little shack on the corner of the property and eat the scraps that are left over after the meal. That's going to be way better than what he has now. I don't need to be part of the family. Just let me, let me slip into the slave's residence and, and have that far bunk on the top of the corner that no one wants to sleep in. I'm fine with that. That's way better than what I got now. Just let me come home. So in verse 20, he gets up, goes to his father. You can imagine this long journey. And the whole time you're just thinking, what is dad going to do? What is he going to do? What's he going to do? What's, you know, the, the reality is that the community itself, I mean, he's shamed the whole community. There was a, 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 a cult custom of the time that when a son did this and, and he came back, that the community would gather around and break a pot in his presence and he'd be shamed and publicly ridiculed. And they would, you know, there would be this ceremony where they would say, yes, you are no longer part of our community. You're no longer part of, you know, of our nation. We, we totally disown you. I mean, that was a definite possibility. He'd really blown it. And he's coming home and he's coming home. He's not sure what's going to, and he's getting close. He's recognizing all the landmarks and he's wondering what's going to happen. And he's, he sees the property in a long distance. And he's like, oh boy, here it goes. You can just feel the sweat, you know, the stress sweat, you know, that really like, like, oh, he, you know, he, he's getting nervous. He probably looks like he's been feeding pigs in the foreign land, right? He, he's not hardly, you know, like, you know, he's, he's not dressed like he was when he left and, and he's, he's coming back shamed, embarrassed with nothing. He stinks. He's coming back. And it says, while he was still a long way from home, his father saw him. You've got to be careful you don't read too much into parables, but when they provide details, you have to stop and listen. Well, why was that detail provided? But you can imagine the father has not gone out to look for the son like the other parables, which is interesting. But he has continually waited for the son. Because he is anticipating his arrival. He's watching for him. And he sees this speck in the distance and he knows. Like only a dad can know it. Like only a mother can know it. Like only a parent knows. That sort of in internal sense of like, ooh, that is my child. 
You parents know what I'm talking about. You just, you kind of feel those things. And it says his heart went out to him. He had compassion for him. We would expect anger. We would expect judgment. We would expect lecture upon lecture, maybe a, a whip or a board or some kind of physical punishment. We'd expect that. That would be actually justified. But in fact, what we find is this deep compassion, and he does the unthinkable. He runs. Now, I just, you know, like there aren't a lot of old men that run even in our culture. <laughs> like, yeah, let's be honest, right? You see an old man running in a superstore, you're kind of like, what's going on? Like, you know, I mean, that, that, that would be really weird, right? And even more so in the first century. I mean, this dignified patriarchs did not run. They had slaves to run. If you needed to run, be like, hey, go run and get that. And then the slave went and ran. The old man of the house didn't run. But this man runs. He hikes up that long robe of his, and he begins to run. People have never seen those white legs before. <laughs> They're scampering across the field. They're white little, little bright, shiny little lights. Like, what's going on? Is he sick? He's running towards this distant figure on the field on the horizon. And he runs up to him. And he hugs him. And he kisses him. He doesn't seem to care about the smell, the gauntly appearance of his son. He just is so happy to have his kid in his arms. And it says um, there, uh, his son said to him, verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer too worthy to be called your son. Okay, this is the, the speech he's prepared in his head, right? He's now acknowledging his repentance to his father publicly and out loud with words. He's ready to continue on with the rest of the speech, and the father cuts him off. Then the father said to his slaves, Hurry, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I mean, there they are. Like it's, woo, they're, they're, it's, it's like, okay, so, so, you know, he's like, bring that robe. This is the robe, either the father's special robe or a robe dedicated to guests. He's put it around his shoulder so you can no longer see the, the tattered clothes that were once his vestiges. He has been given the ring which only children would wear. You could seal documents with that ring. He has been placed on his feet shoes. Why? Because slaves didn't wear shoes. But he, as he walked into town, he wanted everyone to know, my son is back. I haven't hired a new servant. This is my son. And we are celebrating. And so that calf, that steer that's been sitting in the stall there eating corn and barley is now taken out to the back. And they began to butcher this thing and get it ready to, 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 to cook up. Now understand, there is no place to put, you know, freeze meat or whatever. So like, they're going to eat the whole thing. In order to eat the whole thing, everyone is invited. The whole town knows what's going on. They begin to celebrate. Can you see the Father's heart? But listen to the rest of the story. Like, understand, if, you, if you've fallen into the deepest hole that you've dug for yourself, the good news is, is that the Father will welcome you home. 
That is, a, that is a truth that you can take home. But then there's this rest of the story. It doesn't end there. I've preached it and I've stopped there. I've called the altar call. Let's, let's receive Christ. People have come to faith, but I've missed the last part of the story. It says in verse 25, his older brother, older son was in the field. And as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the slaves and asked what was happening. The slave replied, your brother has returned and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and appealed to him. Now understand, this is an insult to the father. This is an insult to the whole celebration. Everyone knows that the the patriarch in waiting is outside and refuses to celebrate. And so the father goes out to him. And he says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've worked like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your commands, yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Look, he doesn't even address his dad as father. He says, I work for you. And this, and this, I come back from working for you all these years, and this is what I get. He says in verse 30, but this son of yours, you hear that? This son of yours. Sometimes, you know, as parents, we do that to each other, right? Well, that, that, your, your son, <laughs> your daughter, you know, like, you know we, we, we kind of, you know, we, but, but he's like, this is, your, this is your son. I mean, this is your brother talking about here, but he's, he's disassociating himself from the family in this moment. This son of yours came back, and he has devoured your assets with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. I mean, nowhere does it tell us that he devoured his assets with prostitutes. But the older brother, all these years, has been thinking, what kind of life is he living? He's having a good time. There's no rules. He's, you know, he's just giving her out there, and here I am slaving for the old man, slaving for the old man. The father said to him, verse 31, son. I mean, the, the kid needed a whack across the head. I mean, this is the old school. I mean, you don't do that now, but maybe a you know, timeout or whatever. <laughs> you know, he needed something. And the dad just looks at him and says, son, you're always with me and everything that belongs to me is yours. It was appropriate to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then in an awkward way, the story ends there. The rebel is partying and the righteous one is, is outside. And we're just hanging and saying, well, well, does the older brother come into the party? Who knows? The truth is, and I'm indebted to Tim Keller for his approach to this, is that you know, there are two approaches to life. One is this moralistic approach where you do the good things and then you get what you deserve. And the other approach is this kind of relativistic approach where you're like, I'm going to do what I want and get what I want out of life. And that's the path to blessing. And, 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 and some people think, if I do the right thing, then God owes me. And if I do whatever I want, then I'm going to get what was deserved to me anyway. And, and both of them are wrong. The rebellious person is lost and the religious person is lost in this story. 
The one guy's trying to control God with his rebellion. The other one's trying to control God with his religion. And both of them are outside until they return and discover the Father's love. And sometimes, we, we know, if, if you're kind of from the elder brother side, like, like, like I am, I've never, you know, stolen cars or, you know, been in the, in the brig or whatever, you know, you know, you start to think that you're better than other people, that you deserve other things because you've done the right things. And, and then, then when you see people come to, you know, out of, the, out of the gutter into salvation, you're sort of like, well, how come they get all that blessing and attention? That's not fair. But in that moment, I can miss the heart of the Father who reaches out in love to the one in the pig pen and the one who's been on the farm the whole time but hasn't entered relationship with the Father. The greatest danger is that you become a moralist and you come to church and you do what all of us church people do and you, and you play the game, but you don't know the Father. That's the worst place to be because you fit in, but you don't know the Father. And Luke 15 says... Everyone needs to know the Father. And what happens as we read the Gospel of Luke, we discover that Jesus is the perfect elder brother. Because what happens is the Father there is giving him sandals. He's giving him a robe. He's giving him a ring. He's killing the calf. Whose sandals are those? Whose ring is that? Whose calf is that? It's the older brother's. It's coming out of his two-thirds. Do you get it? No wonder he's so angry. And Jesus, who has the glories of heaven this inheritance beyond what we could ever imagine, decides to share that with us when he goes to the cross and dies for us. And so Jesus comes to this world and represents the heart of the Father. I've come for sinful people. And I've come to save rebels and self-righteous people. You all need the salvation that only I can provide. I've had multiple people in our city tell me that, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And according to this parable, you're still on the outside of the party. That's not the way you discover the Father's love and relationship. You need to believe in Jesus Christ, and then you enter into the, the party with the Father. And so I'm inviting you on, on both sides today. Maybe you, you are in the ditch and it's easier for younger brothers to come home because they know how far away from home they are. But it's sure hard for older brothers because they're living on the farm, but they have left the father already, even though they're still on the farm with him. It's a horrible picture here. I mean, he's, he's mad and he's literally cursing out his dad here. And it's like, you had the benefits of the father all these years and you haven't really enjoyed it. And maybe you've been a good, clean living, moralistic person. You're like, God owes me because I'm such a good person. And this parable, this surprising story comes along and it slaps you. And you're like, wait a second. Sometimes in the church we've done a disservice to this because, you know, someone comes from the outside selling drugs, stealing cars, and they get saved and we, we put them up front and we parade them around. I've seen this even in smaller you know, Christian cultural circles, a guy comes from the States, he, you know, came off of drugs, and yeah, they're all celebrating this guy. We don't celebrate the 18-year-old that's lived their life in purity, that hasn't gotten drunk, and hasn't, doesn't go partying, that, that, you know, honors their parents, serves in their local church, we, you know, that's kind of a boring testimony. No, it's not. We can celebrate the fact that this young person has lived their life for Jesus and made good choices. That on their wedding night, they'll have their first sexual encounter the way God designed it. And they're going to enjoy it. 
that they didn't need to go and get blasted on their, on their grade 12 graduation because everyone else was doing it. That they, you know, we can celebrate those things, but some, for some reason we just love the, the gutter kid and we forget about the older brother. And maybe you relate to one or, or another of these, but, and this parable should make you feel uncomfortable. Jesus is inviting the religious people to come and know the Father. But if you're coming with this self-righteous chip on your shoulder saying, the Father owes me, you don't really know the Father. You know about him, but you don't know him. Because if you know the Father, being in a relationship with the Father means so much more than the stuff that he gives you. It's just him. My dad passed away in 2003. I would give anything just to have him. Why? Because I'd love for my children to know my father. They're not going to meet him till heaven. It's not about anything that he could give them. It's just that relationship that I wish they could have with my father. And the heavenly father screams for that relationship with all of you. You watch it online. You're like, I'm a good person. Yeah, but, the, but you still need the Father's love and that you access that through Jesus Christ, his son, who died on the cross for you, rose again. And by believing in Jesus Christ, rebels and self-righteous people who try to control God with the rebellion or with their religion can find salvation in the grace of a loving heavenly Father. That's what we're singing about. You're a good, good Father. So today I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus Christ and discover a relationship with God. That's what it's about. It's not about rebellion or religion. It's about relationship. If you think it's going to anything else, you've missed it. But God invites us to experience this. And that's the beauty of the church. We're going to have both brothers here every week. Clean living people, people who made some bad decisions, but together we've discovered God's grace in Jesus Christ and a common father. Team's going to come up and we're going to sing that song, A Good, Good Father. If you don't know Jesus, God, today, I'm inviting you into a relationship with him. If you need to do some work, maybe you have left the Father's house because you think you can live your life better with your own rules and your own decisions, and you feel yourself going. And, and today the Father's just said, come home. Come back. You can come to your senses and turn back to the Father today. If you're the elder brother, come into the party. Receive the Father's love. Enter into the joy of celebration, of knowing that we have something in Christ that no one else can give us. And so would you pray with me as we, as we close? Father, your mercy and compassion are so hard to understand and appreciate. Because it's hard to believe that you would actually love us that much. That you would care for us so much that you would even send your son to, to die for us so that we could have a relationship with you. Oh, how, how you want us to be in your house and in that eternal party with you. And so, Lord, today I pray that there's anyone here listening or watching online that doesn't know you, that they would turn and, and discover you as their Heavenly Father through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for all of us that know you, just enlarge our, our minds and our hearts to just appreciate what a gracious God you are, what a loving Father. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the team as we, as we sing this song? I, I struggle with this story because I feel like I just do such a disservice to the loving Father we have. 
I can't even put it in words just how much he longs to just have us in his home. And I know it's times that I've even looked over the fence as, as a teenager and wondered if, if the younger brothers were having more fun in the pig pen. And, and, and then I turn back to the father and he's just waiting for me. And, and, and I, just, I just hope that you, you can catch that today. Just how much God just longs to know you and to have you as part of his family. And so Lord, help us to experience your love this week. And when the opportunity comes to share that love with those around us. And thank you that you invite us all into your home, the rebels and the self-righteous. And all of us have a seat around your table and are your children. What a wonderful truth. So encourage our hearts with that today. We are loved by you. So we walk in your love now. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everybody said... God bless you.